You are listening to audio from Central Baptist Church in Mansfield, Texas. If you would like to get more involved or get more information about our church, stick around after the message. Amen. If you have your Bibles, join me. 2 Samuel chapter number 12. Um, so we had a scheduled a work day on Saturday, but obviously we moved that. So um, no work day here Saturday. We had the funeral. So um, you're welcome to come to that and support that family if God leads you to do so. Um, we have some classes resuming Sunday, at the very least, the parenting class. We'll see how it goes for my class. Um, that'll be at 5 on Sunday evening. Um, so this past Sunday, we started a new series on Uncensored. And, you know, I guess God just has a sense of humor. He also led me to these topics this evening, <laughs> um, as if we're not being um, politically incorrect enough. So um, we have a couple of them. And I just want to say right off the bat, this first topic is going to hit very close to home to some folks. Um, and I want you to know that our church is here for you. Um, we love you, and uh, we will do anything and everything we can to help and support you. Um, I have a friend, Misha knows this person, who wrote a wonderful book on this matter. It's called Asleep in Heaven's Nursery. I actually have at least a copy in my library, and you're welcome to borrow it, or I'd be happy to get you one of those books. So if this is something that you've gone through, maybe you have a loved one that has gone through something like this. Um, I'd be more than happy to get you a copy of that book. Um, we're talking first about miscarriage. Um, I have had very close family members go through this, and um, some of them have actually asked questions of me. And, you know, they'll ask questions, I'm sure maybe even some of you have asked, how did this happen? Um, what exactly went wrong? Why me? Um, sometimes they turn their questions upward. God, how could you? Um, and really, the thing is, there's really not an answer, right, that can satisfy those questions, especially in the heat of that moment. Um, it's hard to grasp the concept of bad things happening to good people, but then when you add children to the mix, it makes it even much more difficult. You need to know that you're not alone. Um, in those times, man, it can feel very solitary. Even your husband doesn't seem to um, understand. Um, I've talked to many ladies that have gone through that, and it's just, the, you know, it's almost, uh, almost entirely the lady feels like it's all on her. And I couldn't imagine carrying that kind of burden during that kind of tragedy. Um, uh, you need to know that um, God walks with you. Um, he wants to help you every step of that grief and pain with the loss of your child. Um, think about this. Jesus, God in the flesh, attended a funeral for a close friend. And right when he got on scene, what was his first reaction? John chapter 11. 
the shortest verse in all of the Bible, verse number 35, Jesus wept. God is, God is there, and he knows that kind of feeling. Yeah. We don't serve a God that's distant. We don't serve a God that's far away. In fact, some of the last words Jesus said to his disciples were, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. God wants you to come to him even in your tears, especially in your tears, so that he can listen and provide you with the love and support that you need. Uh, start looking for God in your life. You might see him working in other areas. Um, you'll see him working through your family, friends, even coworkers, and especially your church members. Don't shut him out by shutting them out. You let people that God has placed in your life be his presence for you when you can't feel him. You're, you're not alone. This is one of the main reasons God has given us the church, so that we can lift each other up during times like that. Something else, God isn't punishing you. Man, it's almost 100% of the folks that I have talked to, and they almost always ask, did we do something wrong? Or did we do something to deserve this? Now, we're going to read a story tonight, and in that story, um, the father most certainly did something wrong, and the child was a part of that punishment. So I can't tell you that we're always completely innocent in things like this. But it doesn't mean that it's your fault. It doesn't have to mean that God is punishing you. I mean, think about it. Uh, you know the story in John chapter 9. Jesus is walking through a town, and they see a blind man, and people around him begin to ask, why was he born blind? They actually asked Jesus, whose sin caused this man to be born sightless? Was it his parents, or was it something that this man was going to do someday? And Jesus responds with, neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. In this case, the works of God resulted in a miraculous healing whereby many believed in Jesus. The man that wrote the book, Asleep in Heaven's Nursery, do you know why he wrote the book? Because his wife went through it multiple times. And from his grief, he wrote a book. And this book has traveled the entire country and has helped countless families go through this. Friend, maybe God has brought you through something so that you can better help those that are going through it now. Just like this man was able to lead countless people to the Lord because he could see. Really, the big question is always, what is God's purpose? Why do things like this happen? Miscarriages are sometimes allowed by God for his own purposes, and many times we'll never completely understand or know the answer. There's an important distinction that needs to be made between a naturally, a naturally um, occurring miscarriage and a deliberate ending of human life in abortion. Although pregnancy loss is known in the medical world as spontaneous abortion, it has nothing to do with induced abortion or abortion on demand. One is unplanned from the human perspective. The other is purposeful 
One is base in God's words uh, and God's authority over life and death. The other is um, us humans usurping divine authority. In this broken, sin-dominated world, God has allowed many things we don't like. Miscarriages, ectopic pregnancies, and birth defects are among them. Wars, natural disasters, illness, death, crime are all manifestations of the consequences of sin. And they've been allowed to happen for a short time. They're all part of sin's curse on our fallen world. While God does control everything, he still allows things that he hates to accomplish what he desires. Please know that though bad things will happen to you, the Bible tells us that because of God, he can work it all out for good. It's amazing to think that the things I'm struggling with today could be the very things that bless me tomorrow. Um, parents, you know you've gone through those things with your kids. Um, uh, we had some stuff go on with Cooper just a few months ago and the struggles. But now, because of the struggle, he's a much more strong and confident young man. Um, listen to me. Uh, the struggle you're going through today is not the end result. How do I know that? Because you're here right now. You've got breath in your lungs, and it's not over yet. Do you know how you know when it's over? When you see Jesus face to face. And at that point, all of those problems are going to seem very, very small. So, the big question, what about all of those babies? What happens to them? I will tell you, the Bible doesn't give a direct answer. There's not a verse that says that miscarried babies, aborted, aborted babies, um, stillborn babies, or any other, um, you know, babies killed in car accidents and kids killed in car accidents and all of those terrible things that happen in our fallen world. The Bible doesn't give a direct answer. But the passage we're about to read gives us probably the clearest answer in all of the Bible. We're going to read, starting in verse 1, to get the context, and then we'll stop somewhere around verse 23. Verse 1 says, And the Lord said, uh, sent Nathan unto David. Who is Nathan? Someone help me. He's a prophet. So God sends the preacher to the king. Wouldn't you love to have been in that courtroom? <laughs> Here comes this preacher. And, I, and just in my head, I, I picture a very elderly man with a white snow beard. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe a little crotchety. Do you all know any men like this? Right? Um, you know, it just says what's ever on his mind. Have you ever met a man like that? Right? Um, and he's going to preach the word. Look what he says. And he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in, the, in one city, the one rich and the other poor. So he's talking about a story. Very interesting. Verse 2, the rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb. When he had bought and nourished up and grew it up together with him and with his children, it did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. So this little lamb was like a pet. Y'all have any pets like this? Yeah. Pets become family, right? Some of us like our pets better than people. Can I get any witnesses? 
that was better not be louder than my aim ends on Sunday. That's all I got to say. Verse 4, And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. Look what David reacts like. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. Ooh, you ever get that righteous indignation? Oh, yeah, this can't stand. Verse 6, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity, no mercy. Look what Nathan does. And Nathan said to David, thou art the man. You know what this is in reference to? His sin with Bathsheba. The sin with Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, and what he did with Uriah pretty much murdering the man. It has been nine months. David's been dealing with this. He's been trying to hide it from everyone. And from the, the text that we read, it seems like he covered it up pretty well, at least from the human perspective. I'm sure some servants knew, but they weren't ever going to talk about it, right? But here comes Nathan getting a word from God because God always knows. You think you can get away with everything, but you will get away with nothing as far as God's concerned. Nathan looks at him and says, you're the rich man. You're the man. Can you just picture this, this old man with the beard? Probably had to get help walking in. And he sticks his bony little finger into the nose of the most powerful man in the entire world and says, you're the man. That is preaching boldness right there. Don't you love that? You're the man. <clears throat> Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. Think about David. You know, he probably got up off of his throne and was just starting to give uh, servants orders, go find this man, off with his head. But right when Nathan says, you're the man, can't you just figure he kind of backtracks, maybe falls back into his throne, knowing that finally everybody's going to find out all of the despicable things he's done? Verse 8, and I gave thee thy master's house, thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. God is telling him, I've blessed you more than anyone, David. You have more than you could ever want or need, and it still wasn't enough. Hey, friend, this should be a reminder to us that all of us here are blessed more than David was then. So much more. I've always wondered if God worked like this today, if God would send some Nathans our way. You're the man. You're the woman. Verse number 9. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do this evil in his sight. Thou hast killed your eye of the Hittite with the sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Don't you want to know all the servants who are starting to whisper? <laughs> David did that, David did that. Verse 10, now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house. Ooh, you all know the story, right? I mean, kid kills kid. 
Um, his daughter is um, taken by his, her brother. And, I mean, unbelievable things happen in his home. The sword will never depart out of your house because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes, and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. Be sure your sins will find you out. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. But what happens? How be it? Because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. Isn't that interesting? We're going to talk about that kind of principle from verse 14 more and more as we go forward this year. But God is worried about his name, his reputation, if you will. And you know what people think about God is mainly by what Christians do while we're here. The world sees God through our actions, and we are either lifting them towards him or allowing them to blaspheme the God that we claim to love by how we act and how we talk. And God is saying here, I can't stand for it. There's going to be consequences. Verse 15, And Nathan departed unto his own house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David. And it was very sick. David therefore besought God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night upon the earth. And the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the earth, but he would not, neither did he eat bread with them. And it came to pass on the seventh day, that the child died. The servants of David feared to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spake unto him, and he would not hearken unto our voice. How will he then vex himself if we tell him that his child is dead? But when David saw that his servants whispered, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said unto his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He's dead. Then David arose from the earth, and washed and anointed himself and changed his apparel and came into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he came to his own house and when he required that uh, they set bread before him and he did eat. Then said his servants unto him, What thing is this that thou hast done? Thou didst fast and weep for the child while it was alive, but when the child was dead, thou didst rise and eat bread. And he said, while the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, who can tell whether God will be gracious to me that the child may live? But look what he says in verse 23. But now he is dead. Wherefore shall I fast? Can I bring him back again? You kind of read between the lines saying, well, no. But I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. So, we have here quite an interesting story. David is judged because of his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. Um, uh, he is judged with his children, including this little baby. The baby um, is born very sickly. 
and lives here on earth for seven days. Then the baby dies. Sadly, this is a story that has repeated itself time and time again. My first funeral that I ever did was for a stillborn baby. Um, and so we, we have these things happen. We probably know people, or maybe we have gone through similar circumstances. And one question that comes up is, what happens to the baby? One thing that we know from Scripture is that we all have a sin nature, every single last one of us. It's not something that we get, it's just something that we have. Like we have our fingerprints, right? They're ours. It's our particular one. We get them when we're born. They know who we are. We have our own DNA. It's ours, right? Um, uh, we, we have all of these different things that make us to think we have our very own sin nature. And we talked about this a little bit on Sunday. We um, don't have a sin nature because we sin. Um, we sin because we have a sin nature. Um, it just comes natural to every single last one of us. And because of this sin that we have intrinsically within us, we all stand before God guilty. If I were to go to, if I were to die today and not have Jesus' righteousness covering my sins, I would surely be damned to hell. But because I have Jesus' righteousness, I get to go to heaven. But I also had an opportunity. When I was five years old, there was a preacher that came to the church on a Wednesday night. This is why you should bring your kids to church on Wednesday night. It was a revival service, so all the kids were in there. And you know how kids are. Oh, really? i got to go to big church? But I went to big church, and I heard this preacher preach about hell. Let me tell you, it literally scared it out of me. <laughs> but I didn't go up during the service. You know, it's scary. Um, I was the associate pastor's kid. So I went home, got ready for bed. You know, Wednesdays, kids are up later than normal. But I couldn't go to sleep. My dad noticed and came in and said, hey, what's wrong? And I said, Daddy, I'm scared I'm going to go to hell tonight. And I was hoping Lauren would go first. That was my sister. <laughs> I was um, but there on my bed, we talked about um, God's gift of Jesus, what Jesus did, and all of that. And just like a child with his faith, I accepted Jesus as my Savior. But I had an opportunity. Those little babies aren't given an opportunity. Does a baby's soul only come after they're born? I mean, if that's the case, how about this baby? Seven days old. Of no fault of his own, but for the, literally, think about it. The judgment of God died. What happens? Very difficult to answer one way or the other. Um, we don't have a verse of scripture, really besides this one and some others that I think I provide for you in your handout. Um, but what we believe, because of the goodness of our God, Romans 1 gives some hints, some stories in the Gospels give some hints, and this passage in particular, we can say with pretty good confidence that babies are allowed to enter into heaven because they were never given an opportunity 
to believe one way or the other. We, we would also believe that those mentally who are born that are never able to grasp concepts like this, no matter how old they become, maybe never get to a point where they're able to reason for themselves what would happen. And we believe God's grace extends to them. I can't be dogmatic about it because the Bible isn't dogmatic about it. But I am fairly convinced, and I believe the book that I have in my office, Asleep in Heaven's Nursery, um, backs up an even better claim than I've given to you tonight, that those little ones, by God's grace, are allowed to enter heaven. David said, he can't come back, but I'm going to go to him. What do you think that meant? It obviously meant that he was going to get to stand with his baby someday in heaven. That's at least what I believe. Does anybody want to make any comments or give any questions? Brother Bunce. Yes. So there is a, a different, um, um, there's a, a part of Christianity that would believe like we believe, but they would make a pretty big caveat. And they would say it is um, for covenant families. So like my wife and I were believers when we had our children. And that, that kind of gives a gracious umbrella to their children. Um, that if the parents were believers, then their children would also be considered a part of the covenant of grace. Um, uh, there is a little bit of uh, bearing there, and if that's what someone believes, I'm perfectly fine with that. Um, and then there's even others that would just say, um, God knows who and who not. And those that God knows get to go. And obviously those that God doesn't know, I believe it's Matthew 7, um, uh, they will be judged as well, okay? Um, and Romans chapter 9 is a very good passage to try to work through some of that. And the ones that believe the family issue could obviously use this because David obviously is in heaven today. Um, and his son or daughter, we believe, would have been there as well, okay? Any other questions or comments? Okay, so I've, I've preached on this next topic um, twice in the last 13 months, so I'm not going to go super in-depth. Um, but we're going through a series in Genesis. We're getting through um, the issues on death, and obviously this is something that we have to wrestle with. It's abortion. Um, we believe that um, the ultimate authority over a Christian's life isn't a science textbook. It is not culture's opinion. We believe it's the word of God. And as such, no matter what culture tells us, no matter what somebody's feelings try to tell us, no matter what um, some scientists try to tell us, we go by God's word. Now, I am convinced that this particular issue, science has done more to back us up than the other side. 
Um, but I believe the Bible makes the case very cl- clearly that abortion is sinful. I give you some reasons. The first, we've talked about at length in our series. Man is made in God's image. We bear it. We talked about it a little bit on Sunday. Um, We bear God's image. Um, Another one is Psalm 58, a Psalm of David. I'm sorry, I don't think that's supposed to, maybe it is 58. You guys can look that up. It might be 51. Only a human being is called a sinner. Only us. Um, And yet, the sinner in verse 3 of that chapter is the one that's estranged from where? The womb. Born that way. All right. Another one is God formed us in the womb. Think about Psalm 139. It's a beautiful passage. It says, For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knows right well. God is the one that intrinsically begins to form us even before we are recognizable as a baby. Before the baby's mama knows the baby's there, God knows the baby is there. Isaiah backs this up, verse 24 of chapter 44. Lord, thy Redeemer, and he that formed thee from the womb. I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretches forth the heavens alone, that spreads abroad the earth by myself. God forms us in the belly. So all of those things that we were uncomfortable with when we were teenagers about ourselves, God did it. God designed it so there is just one of you. And for that, I am grateful. (laughs) Um, I love this point. God called us from the womb. There's Isaiah. There's Jeremiah. The apostle Paul talks about in the New Testament. That God literally placed a calling on their life before they were born. I am convinced because the passages like Ephesians chapter 1, that God knew before the world was even formed that Andrew Hayward would follow Samuel Rowlett as the pastor of Central Baptist Church. All the way back then. That was thousands of years before Greg Hayward met Denise Hayward. And I don't want to think about the rest. (laughs) Um, God knew about it all. Knew what I was going to do. Think about those verses. If you believe in abortion, how do you rectify the fact that God knew that God was going to call Jeremiah to be a prophet before he was born? How do you rectify the fact that Isaiah was going to be a prophet before he was born? And Paul was born. The Bible calls preborn babies children. This should be the only point I need to tell you. Think about it. In the New Testament, the New Testament was written to Greek. There's a word for children that's used most often. It's brephos, B-R-E-P-H-O-S, transliterated. In Luke 18, this is a beautiful story. Jesus is sitting. A whole bunch of kids run to Jesus. You know, kids are a great judge of character. They run right past the disciples. Can I get a witness? 
run to Jesus. And the disciples think, oh, Jesus is way too important for children. And what does Jesus do? He goes after the disciples. Let the kids come, for such is the kingdom of God. Jesus says the word children or kids or infants, something like that. And it's the word brephos. I give it for you. Luke 18, 15. Brephos. But if you go back to Luke 141, there's a woman named Mary who has in her womb a brephos, a baby, a male child. His name is Jesus. The Bible uses the same word for the preborn Jesus and all the kids who came to hang out with him. The Bible sees no difference between the child in the womb and the child that was on Jesus' lap in Luke 18. It came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. That babe there, John the Baptist, that was the one, the brephos, that leapt in the womb. Matthew 1, 20 through 21 as well. This passage tells us that Jesus was Jesus at conception. Notice the word conceived. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is what? Conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. When does life begin? Conception. Can I ask you, for those that may agree with abortion, when was Jesus made a man? If you say it was at his birth, you got a really big problem with this passage. Because it literally says that what happened at conception was of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Do you know what the reaction of the king was when he heard about the king of kings being born? Kill the babies. I don't know. That sounds awfully familiar to our country. He was filled with the Holy Spirit from the mother's womb. In Luke 1.15, we read that John the Baptist shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. The Bible and Christians have always been against abortion because the Bible teaches that life begins at conception. Early church theologians and their writings help to clear up this fact. The church has always been against abortion. This has happened since the 80s. There's a movement afoot to tell um, uh, people that are outside of the church that only since the 80s has the church been against abortion, but it has been that way since the church has been the church. Um, uh, think about it. Early times, Christians sharply distinguished themselves from Pagan cultures in the area that um, uh, viewed abortion and infanticide as fine. The earliest widely used documents of uh, Christian teaching and practice after the New Testament in the first and second centuries, like the Didache. Um, The Didache is used today to help back up some of the apostles' teaching um, uh, in certain sects of Christianity. Um, In fact, Didache means the teaching of the twelve apostles. It was written somewhere just after the Apostle John wrote the uh, revelation of Jesus Christ. So we're talking 130 A.D., literally within 100 years of Jesus. 
in the Didache, it literally says this. It's in the second chapter of the Didache. It says, you shall not murder a child by abortion, nor kill what, it ha- what is begotten. It sounds to me like the early church hated abortion. If you read the letter of Barnabas or the Apocalypse of Peter, they all condemned both practices, as did early regional and particular church councils. Well, you say, well, that's not in the Bible. Of course it's not in the Bible. Uh, But the Bible gives us enough information to tell us that we shouldn't be for abortion. And the early church, in all of their other writings, agrees with us. Then you have passages that the pro-abortion folks will try to use. We don't have time to get into them a lot, but Exodus 21, 22, verse 23, Numbers 5, and that big passage there. Just know that neither of those passages prop up abortion for Christians or the world today. If you could come to me with a biblical argument for abortion, I will listen. Otherwise, it's cultural, and Christians don't listen to the culture when the Bible says a completely opposite thing. Anyone have any questions or comments? All right. Let's stand. We'll be dismissed in a word of prayer. Brother Larry, if you'll go back there and hold that offering plate, you give as God directs everything given. We'll go to Misha and her travel expenses, helping those in the Ukraine as well. All right. Uh, Miss Misha, why don't you go out to the lobby so people can come by and give you a big old hug. All right. You pray for her as she travels all the way to the Ukraine. All right. Um, I'm going to call upon Brother Chuck to dismiss us in a word of prayer. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to join us in person, our services are at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday. We're located at 700 North Walnut Creek Drive in Mansfield, Texas. You can visit our website at cbcmansfield.com or follow us at Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at CBC Mansfield. Thanks again for joining us.